Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. My name's Brent. I'm here today with TJ. Yep. Chris. Yep. And David. Bonjour. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about things we've been watching lately, and follow that up with some news, and then we're going to tell you what you should go see, because we know. We know better. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we, we know. know. You can't be left to make these decisions for yourself, listener. We do what it do. We're just trying to skip a step for you in case you're like, what's coming out this weekend? You can just listen to our podcast. Yep. Much more convenient. Watch an hour plus. <laughs> listen to an hour plus to find out what you should watch. Hell, you could just go straight to the end right now with the timestamp. We won't know the difference. You've already downloaded it. We've already gotten your money. Like cloak that timestamp and just like cycle back to the beginning, <laughs> make a time loop. That would be mean. <laughs> that would be mean. Uh, let's start with David. What you been watching, David? Hey, I've been trying to catch up on 2018 movies so that my top ten list is fresh and and spongent. No. <laughs> not a word. Not rotten. And not the uh, twenty. The top ten movies that I saw in 2018. No. <laughs> I think uh, Zama still counts. Um, Although it violates the one rule that we use to extend that time a little bit by saying nominated for Oscars is in the year it was nominated. But it wasn't nominated. Right. It failed to get nominated for the year it was submitted to be nominated. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yep. So, uh, first movie I saw, I don't have a lot to talk about with it, is I saw Dumplin'. Cool. I saw Dumplin'. Dolly Parton movie. I was going to leave it off at watch list. <laughs> Yeah, um, I uh, I saw it, and uh, the only thing I can say about it is the music of Dolly Parton is very good, and uh, the rest of the movie is pretty forgettable. <laughs> um, I, I did have a. It was kind of exciting. One of the uh, um, one of the drag queens is actually a drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. Which is it? It's Ginger Minge. Okay, I don't know Ginger Minge. <laughs> Which one was was she in Dumpling? Uh, she was the more rotund one. Okay. With the southern accent, and she's actually from Tennessee. She's pretty good on her season. She's, good, she's very good uh, um, musical kind of drag queen. So that was kind of cool. And then there was uh, Harold Perrineau right next to her. And I was like, yeah. no, you're not a real drag queen. Uh, that, that's about all I say. My review on that show prior is not a real drag queen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> come for the drag reviews. Um, after that, I saw a movie that Chris recommended because it hit Hulu. I saw Heart Beat, Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah. Yep, with uh, Nick, Nick Offerman. Kiersey Clemens. Clemens. Nick Offerman. And horror queen Tony Collette, who does not get terrorized in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. Um, I don't think I was effusive when I saw it. Um, I think I gave it three and a half. Mm. I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I think in my letterbox review, I think I just like bands starting up and recording DIY style. I kind of like that. Yeah, a little micro groove of movies. Like, yeah, reminded me of Begin Again a lot. Did it remind you of all of Sing Street? It did. Then my mm. job is done. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been calling it the Sing Street of the Year for the whole year. It's a, it's a very likable movie. Chris just got Thanos. <laughs> That's his purpose on Earth. <laughs> now I'm going to go watch the sunset somewhere. <laughs> um, I guess I don't have too much else to say about it. It's just very likable if you want to see something from 2018 that's pretty good. 
uh, and it's got a lot of heart in it. Go see that movie. The music's pretty good too. Yeah, song make the short list. It did not. Did not no. Boo. Didn't Boo. Make it. That would have been fun. I, I like that song. Yeah, it's good. Um, and then after that, I saw a movie. I think, I think everybody here has seen, but I finally saw a Quiet Place. Oh, mm. nice. Yeah, has everybody seen it? Yeah, Love yeah. it. Yeah. Like it's, a year uh, ago. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty ingenious. Um, there's a little, uh, I don't know if it's signs-ish at the end, but I think, uh, I think they did a pretty good job earning that ending. Yeah. Not, not to go into it. I guess it's, it's, uh, hitting rentals and all that stuff. And, and man, I really hope it hits those, uh, sound categories at the Academy Awards. That'd sound is phenomenal. Really cool. Um, yeah, very, very poignant. I thought everyone's really good in it, especially Millicent Simmons. Mm-hmm. I thought she was phenomenal in it. She's the deaf actress who was in Wonderstruck. Yeah. I think you enjoyed that movie. I yeah, she's song. really good in both those movies. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at her IMDb. I think those are the only movies she has on her slate. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's good that for deaf roles and stuff, they're going to this deaf actress and she's a great young actress. Hopefully there's more stuff that gets written for her or written for that kind of role that she can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, Emily Blunt got a sag down for supporting actress for mm-hmm. A Quiet Place. I think it was well, well earned. I don't think she'll get a lot of love this award season, but she was really good in it. Yeah. She was really good, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the bathtub scene alone is what they were using, what John Krasinski was using to pitch the movie on like late night talk show back in the day. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. It's so apparently what he gave to her to like for he was trying to like solicit her help rewrite rewriting the script, mm-hmm. and that scene is the one that she was like, "Oh, you need me." Yeah, listen to, to uh, Little Gold Men uh, interview with John Krasinski. Yeah, and he was talking about originally Emily Blunt had obviously Mary Poppins this year, yeah, and uh, had referenced one of her friends to do to do the movie. And they were just on a flight, and then she was just like completely grave, and it's like, "What's wrong?" and Emily Blunt was like, I just have to do this movie. Will you Will you let me be in your movie? Yeah. And in a crowded flight, John Krasinski goes, Yeah! <laughs> I'm surprised that an air marshal didn't uh, <laughs> contain him. But uh, I think John Krasinski's really good in it, too. Yeah. 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 Really well directed. Yeah. Oftentimes, when, when uh, already fully formed couples appear on screen together, they don't have the chemistry on screen, mm-hmm. but I thought they were great together. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're also like the most un-Hollywood Hollywood couple, and maybe it helps that they weren't in a movie where they were falling in love, where they were just playing what they already were. Yeah, I think the movie does a great job of you understand that they're in love, and then they're these tough circumstances. I really love them dancing to the uh, um, Neil Young song at the beginning. You know, you yeah. the the kind of the ear earphones to do it. Yeah, kind of carving out this moment of uh, joy. Uh, it's a good dichotomy. One of them wants them to survive. The other one wants everybody to thrive. You know, what's a life worth if you don't have those kind of moments in it? Right. He does a good job with that. Y'all think it's a... Is it more due to us watching movies in a different way since we started Talkie Talk? Or is there just still an influx of first-time directors making, like, technically brilliant movies? Is that is that new? Or is that just something that we've seen because we're watching movies a different way and following directors more than we did before the cast started? 
He just got like like Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele, John Krasinski, Bo Burnham, like all these people. So you mean like like actors, like people who didn't come up as a yeah. I think they're getting more of an opportunity, and it's people who have been around and have been directed. Right. So I think there's a more natural segue. And then like Bootsy Collins, who isn't really a first time director. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I think it's it's. Boots Riley. Did Boots you say Riley. Bootsy Collins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's also not for <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that there's something to be said about directors and screenwriters and DPs. They learn through making their movies, and then that's their direction. But actors learn by being in them. So they already have like a number of films under their belt, even though they weren't credited as directors and they didn't act as directors. So when they get behind the camera, they know what works and what doesn't. Yeah, because I guess most of these are kind of what Brent's saying, and you're, you're not getting a bunch of... Uh, who's the guy who directed Beasts of the Southern Wild? The guy who like Ben's came Island. out of nowhere and disappeared just as quickly? Yeah. Like, he still has nothing on his on his filmography coming up. Mm-hmm. But most of these are names we know, which is interesting. Yeah. I guess it's just easier to make more money in movies these days, too. You, you, I mean, Chris is kind of getting toward the, like, the Bloomhouse recipe, too, of just like... I'll give you money and I'll stay out of it. It's kind of new. Yeah, this kind of this uh, this market now. It's it's like modestly budgeted things that can become these big hits. Right. Like even a quiet place, I think it's made for less than twenty million dollars. Yeah. Get out was free almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ladybird. Yeah. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah. Good movies. Yeah. <laughs> what else did you watch? Um, and then I saw this. This is another one. I'm trying to catch up on some foreign movies that did not make the shortlist, but just because they're available. I heard about this movie. It popped up on a top ten list, and it was available on Hulu. So, uh, yeah. It was called... It's, yeah, it's on Hulu. It's, it says it's 2017 on <laughs> Letterboxd <laughs> and stuff, but... Uh, uh, check the limited uh, release was in April 2018, so hopefully I can talk about it without getting shut down. <laughs> um, it's let the sunshine in. Shut it down now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Let the sunshine in. What's that about? That's a movie with uh, Juliette Binoche, directed by Claire Denis. Claire Denis is like a big uh, festival and uh, critical darling. Never really seen. I don't think I've seen any of her movies. Um, I think one of them's on the film spotting top. Like the the short list of all the things for the best movies of the two thousands. Yeah, but uh, it's just like a Parisian woman in her fifties or early sixties that uh, is just have the has these brief encounters with uh, you know some terrible men. <laughs> um, there's a, uh, a banker who is just is basically like a but uh, yeah. There's this banker who's kind of this boorish oaf guy doesn't really know how to connect to her. There's this. Uh, yeah, there's the the actor. There's a uh, there's this uh, timid divorcee with uh, with three kids who isn't really going to commit to anything. There's this uh, guy she used to be connected to, this much older man, and has uh, fallen out of love with. And uh, it's just kind of slice of lifey. Um, I think I had it three and a half stars. I didn't really see I don't really see it making my top ten. But damn, is Juliette Binoche just phenomenal good yeah she may be like one of the most beautiful actresses of all time she's like 65 now or in her early 60s I think and she's uh, she's such a captivating performer yeah she's really good especially when because she can do some French 
<laughs> it's a French movie. So you can do that French. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, I'd recommend it if, uh, I don't know, you're into that kind of thing. French movie that's, that's not really too dramatic, but is uh, you know really focused on this this character. It really highlights how difficult it is for older women to find love and balance that with having you know a life. And she has a, a daughter with the former paramour. Right. So it's uh, it's it's all right. Cool. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I saw twenty eighteen in my uh, my doc push is recently to Hulu. Again, is I saw RBG, mm. the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. Any of you guys get a chance to see that? Not yet. Haven't yet. It's on the short list. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I finished it this morning, and I think I uh, my review is kind of like there are those movies where you have an average subject that you can transcend to a phenomenal doc, kind of like Minding the Gap. Mm-hmm. You know, if you say what it's about, it's just <clears throat> well beyond that. And there's also movies that have a phenomenal subject but are decent. And this is kind of the latter for me. It's from CNN Films, and most of it is just from, you know, archival footage. And she's a very guarded, kind of shy person, so the actual unprecedented access that's in the logline is kind of her very humble and not super illuminating. Although she is an incredibly fascinating and, uh, you know, powerful, influential, inspiring figure. You you do get some of that, but I think maybe some stuff is lost in the, lost in the, uh, I don't know, the cooking all the ingredients together. But if you're into Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you're probably like the like the doc. You know, I liked it, but it didn't rise above, um, yeah, like I said, a transcendent subject at the center. I also feel like just tying that into Oscar talk a little. I feel like that is probably going to lose out to Won't You Be My Neighbor for that mm-hmm. slot, right? Um, they could they could both get there, obviously, but I feel like once you be my neighbor's probably like in, and people might not want another like big money doc, right? I guess in that yeah. in that five, yeah, it's 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 a very successful doc, the RBG one, right? Because you know she has kind of the the cult of the notorious RBG and on SNL and T-shirts and and coffee cups and kids books and stuff. Um, we got a trailer for on the basis of sex last night. It doesn't look great. Yeah. It's not Felicity, uh, Felicity Jones. Jones RPG movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It from, didn't look good. Yeah, from what I hear, the documentary covers a lot of that territory and does it in a pretty good job. And uh, you have the actual person there. Right. Versus a British Star Wars character, Felicity Jones. Well, yeah. I have her <laughs> actually arguing in front of the court. Yeah. yeah. Playing a Brooklyn bred and raised. Uh, lawyer, but it's pretty good. It's in my. Uh, I kind of had a bunch of pretty goods in my thing, and Quiet Place was phenomenal. But y'all already told me that the uh, the worst part of that trailer was when she's arguing in front of the court at the end. It's supposed to be like the gotcha moment of the trailer. Yeah, when he's like, "Nowhere in the Constitution does the word lawyer appear," and she's just like, "Neither does the word freedom." <laughs> I'm just like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> Neither does the word horse. I, I, I mean, oh, that it was it was really really weird. Yeah, yeah. So I guess don't see on the basis of sex and see RBG instead. They have a lot of the dialogue from uh, uh, a lot of her famous cases, especially she was a trailblazer in the seventies and eighties, taking uh, women's equality cases yeah. before the Supreme Court. And you hear her, uh, you hear her um, 
lawyer talk. Oral argument. <laughs> Oral argument. Lawyer <laughs> talk. And then later on you hear a lot of her like dissenting opinions that are very inspirational and kind of on the money. Yeah. That if you're going to watch that movie, you probably agree with. Um, right. Yeah. It is interesting, uh, you know, I guess I just didn't know that she had a very, uh, um, very powerful friendship with Scalia, even though she, you know, they did not agree with anything with respect to the law almost, but you can see their, uh, their in interviews together and it's pretty interesting how she could kind of, they're talking about how she can compartmentalize and, and respect him as a, a person without agreeing with his, uh, agreeing with his stances. Yeah. I remember when he, when he passed, uh. I read that that they were like best the probably the two closest people in the court, mm-hmm. and that they vacationed together and would like take like, family trips and things, the holiday dinners. Yeah, it yeah, was super close. I think the they didn't agree on a lot of uh, you know interpretationing interpretationing interpretations of the Constitution, but they definitely agreed that law shouldn't be political, mm-hmm. which. Mm-hmm. Is the hard thing to get over. We'll talk about Scalia later in the podcast. <laughs> Neat. Yeah, that's what I saw. Cool. cool. Uh, TJ, why don't you go next? Let's jump with Vice since we just talked about that. All right. <laughs> Me and Chris went and saw Vice last night. Um, so you know, I've only been awake for like two hours since seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got home at like one thirty. Yeah. We went to the latest showing, but uh, I don't know. What's the first off? What's the like the simple plot of Vice? Is it just about biopic of Dick Cheney? Okay, great. Yes, I didn't know if it was going to be more like Lincoln, like focused on a specific Bush presidency, but this is definitely focuses on his role as vice president more than anything else. But I mean, the first the first half of the movie is is his all of his work before he becomes before the two thousand election. Spliced with scenes from right. his role as vice. Yes. Does it like? Ha, wasn't he uh, chief of staff for Ford? Oh uh, yeah, that? it's every. It okay. starts with him as like. A, I mean, he was in his early thirties and was a. He worked on power poles. Yeah. In Wyoming. Okay. Um, flunked out of Yale. Pretty much got onto a yeah. Pretty much got like drawn in as a uh, congressional assistant due to his wit. Um. It focuses on, like, Lynn Cheney a little bit there in the beginning. She was the one who, like, pretty much if she was around in the 90s and then would have, like, been more successful, but since it was the late 50s, early 60s, didn't really have a huge role in politics. But she was the smartest one. She was, you know... She, I've heard some people would say, like, Lady Macbeth to the... Uh, kind of. Yeah. yeah, that's a good comparison. And they, they, they hit you on the head with that I just later. A, I just bought a book by her. By who? Lady Macbeth? Yeah. <laughs> no, Lynn Cheney. Lynn Cheney. Yeah. Very rare. I was yeah, trying to make the Lady Macbeth joke. Um, yeah, so it goes through like him as a congressional... Uh, intern. Intern to Donald Rumsfeld when he was in Congress. And then, yeah, slowly like becoming an advisor to Rumsfeld when he's the Secretary of Defense and... You know, finally running for Congress in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. His congressional run through the Reagan administration. Um, he was set up to be the chief of staff. Well, he was, was the chief of staff for Ford, right? And was set up to be that for. You know, was kind of had it in the cards to keep succeeding and kind of throw his power moves around in Bush one's second term, but that failed, and that's mm-hmm. when he just kind of left, and because he couldn't run for president, pretty right. much. 
because his daughter is his oldest daughter was out and gay, and he fully supported her and didn't want anything brought on her. And the movie does hit that well, and it, yeah, does, it does humanize him. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. The most yeah. The, the most touching moments of the movie are the scenes with him and his daughter, played by Alison Pill. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and those scenes kind of bring that movie back to level ground for me a little. They yeah. kind of throw Lynn Cheney under the bus a little, too. Yeah, she is, She is. you're right, very Machiavellian, very, like, she's the one who delivers, like, the Cersei Lannister lines of, yeah. like, near the end of the movie, telling, like, Liz Cheney, like, just remember, if you have power, people will always want to take it from you. Like, that kind of shit. Um, and did, I mean, for what I've read, did have a big hand in the second daughter who ran for... Senator in Wyoming, um, who pretty much threw her older sister under the bus, saying she didn't was not in agreement with gay marriage because um, you can't win in Wyoming if you're cool with that. So uh, the sisters are estranged now. Yeah, can't win at the equality state. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird state to run for Congress into because there's one congressman. Yeah, for that state, so it's essentially a statewide like three state run races for. The legislative branch. States with fewer congressmen than senators are weird states. Yes. <laughs> so she had lost that senator race, but she ended up being, she's the congresswoman yeah. from Wyoming now. Um, but I mean, this is all like just history. So it's, it's hard to, the move, the star of the movie is almost Adam McKay after you get past, like, Christian Bell and Amy Adams are both phenomenal, deserve all the praise they're getting. Yeah. Steve Carell, not as much so. I would say. Yeah. Sam Rockwell, honestly, not that impressive. Yeah, they kind of paint Rockwell. Rockwell and Carell play, you know, George W. Bush and Don Rumsfeld, uh, respectively. And they kind of paint them as, like, hapless pawns um, for Cheney's manipulation. Um, and, like, Rumsfeld being a little uh, more hip to it, where... Anytime he sees the machine that Cheney is grinding on, we'll like call him on it and be like, "Hey, you're a ruthless motherfucker, aren't you?" But like, we'll still like play the game with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're 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 just foil for Christian Bale, right? Yeah, I mean, you do get some supporting roles that are really good. Um, Justin Kirk is the guy who plays Scooter Libby. He's yeah. really good. Uh, Don McManus plays David Addington. Really. Great performance. Yeah. David Addington was uh, Cheney's uh, legal counsel, had Mm -hmm. legal staff for him. Um, And uh, it's that character is really important because if you don't have an opinion about the unitary executive theory, uh, you will after seeing this movie because that is basically what this movie's about is is everything that Dick Cheney personally did to strengthen the executive. Um, yeah, I mean they do, and they do break that down in a very simple way, which it is pretty simple. Yeah, um, I mean they tell you straight up, like since the vice president breaks ties in the Senate and is elected as the executive branch, no side has control over that position. And since can, that can be argued, and since the president sets the responsibilities of the vice president, then the vice president can't really be guilty of any kind of executive overreach within within the branch so then they can work both sides 
of legislative and executive as long as you know the president is willing to cede that much power, which with W he was. Yeah, there's really nothing there that like broke law. That's kind of what's interesting about the story, right? There's there's even a scene with uh, Alfred Molina plays a waiter um, at like a high end restaurant, and it's Cheney and his goons uh, all sitting at the table, and they, he presents the menu, and the menu is a bunch of legal loopholes, and he's like, "So uh, uh, we can start you off with uh, Guantanamo Bay. It's um, kind of United States, but not really. We have control over it, so we can do whatever we want." Uh, next on the menu we have, and then at the end he goes like, we'll take it all. Like, just kind of describing all like the... That's very reminiscent of how McKay did the, uh, the Big Short. Oh, it's me. Yeah, yeah same, same style. This it's... is, this is a sequel to the Big Short. Yeah. <laughs> and like, hey, you don't understand news, do you dummy? Here you go. Let's, let's get Ariana Grande to come explain it to you. <laughs> Except this time it's all, uh, Fat Damon, uh, Jesse Plemons, mm-hmm. um, Doing all the explaining. Yeah. It was a great character. That yeah. I, I want y'all to watch the movie before so, we get too much into that. it sounds like you at least liked it. How good was it? I have four and a half stars. I was, I was close so, to five. So almost a, yes, a great. Chris great was, for you. I'm, I'm three and a half stars. It's good. Good. Good to great. Yeah. Cool. I mean, Christian Bale's fucking phenomenal. And yeah. he is on screen for 98% of the movie. Yes. Is, is he phenomenal in a way that he's just like, uh, Going back to that Natalie Portman as uh, Jackie, as it, Jackie, is it, it is it just is it a really good impression or is it like really is there more acting than impression? Does he do anything interesting with it once he's got the verisimilitude? Right, he just destroys. Like if I'm comparing those two, he's so much better than she was. Wow. Okay. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's so because Dick Cheney was a quiet kind of underspoken politician, Bale has to do a lot of the acting and embodiment without using words. So it's 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 more than just an impression. It is the physicality of the character. Mm-hmm. It's the you know the like the, the ever looming presence. Like they do lots of shots in the Oval Office with W and Cheney's just kind of off in the background. He'll like saunter in front of George, kind of whisper some advice and then walk away. And it's like that kind of um Embodiment is really impressive. Cool. And some of the Adam McKay tricks work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By all means, yeah, I love the Big Short. I yeah, I mean, some of them movies. here fall f- are worse than any joke in the Big Short was. But yeah. some of them are just as good, if not better. It's just, it's more of a range on when they hit and when they don't. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. What else? Uh, what else have you seen this week? Teach. I watched uh, a few things that I think Chris has at least watched uh, a couple that they've all been watched by some of y'all. I watched Ant Man and the Wasp. Don't have much to say about it. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's probably the 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 worst of the Marvel movies released that year. Yeah, it's not a bad Marvel movie, but no. it's not not particularly great. Yeah, I think the effects in it are really good. They've got a character who was like stuck in the quantum realm for too long. So she can kind of phase in and out of like uh, corporeality, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a neat thing. Um, and you know, I I have like a what the bleep do you know understanding of quantum mechanics. So it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool science, man. Uh, so I liked her character. How's the visual comedy? Does it have anything that rivals the doesn't. the train pulling back? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. No, I mean the closest you get is like him jumping out of a helicopter. 
And he's like, no, like falling toward the water. And then it zooms out. It does the same trick. It's just like, Bloop. yeah. <laughs> but none of it really hits. I mean, it's Paul Rudd and it's, you know, Michael Pena and they're great together. Yeah. The Michael Pena comedy does hit, I think, as well as it did in the first one. Yeah, I, I, I thought that it wasn't as good as the first one, but I think that's less on Michael Pena and more on that they threw away Stephen Wright. Edgar Wright, yeah. Edgar Wright, you're right. Stephen Wright would be a <laughs> First we got him, then we threw him away. This is Ant-Man. <laughs> Another movie that I feel about the same on is uh, Hotel Artemis, which I know Chris has seen. Yep. Um, it's a fine little 90-minute action movie. Not a lot of substance there. Really don't know what's going on at the end of it, but you don't really need to yeah. enjoy it. Um, yeah. Jodie Foster plays a person who runs a hotel for criminals or a hospital for criminals mm-hmm. and, and a hotel for dogs. <laughs> dogs it's a weird it's a weird matchup I wouldn't necessarily recommend Hotel Artemis but if once it hits Netflix or whatever you might might give it a go I, the, my, my one big criticism of it is they spent a lot of time talking about how like badass that one woman was how like much of a badass fighter she is and she did a thing where she was like don't cross this line anyone who comes c- close to my line like I'll fuck you up and yeah. then they spent a lot of time editing away from that fight. I wish it would have gotten like an old boy treatment and it would have just like stuck in that hallway and showed her like beating up on these dudes more than it did. That's uh, Sophia Butella. Yeah. It has great action movies. She's, I mean, she was great in this, her action yeah. scenes, but she was in Star Trek Beyond. She was really good. Yeah. And uh, Kingsman. The first yes. one. She was and fantastic. And The Mummy, right? Uh, oh, is that her, The Mummy? She I guess it is. She played Mummy. In the Tom Cruise horrible Who? movie from last year, Sophia Butella. Mummy. I'm not sure. <laughs> Exclamation! I don't point. know that name. Sorry. Yeah. Um, She's a beautiful, you know uh, olive-skinned woman who can fight real good. The lady with leg knives in Kingsman. I believe that is the money. Uh, the mummy. <laughs> it's also the money. It's also my mummy. <laughs> I watched a movie that uh, I share with Chris, and it's got uh, opportunity still. I think to be nominated for an Oscar. They get special effects shortlisted. Christopher Robin. Oh yeah, Christopher yeah. Robin. Christopher Robin. <laughs> um, it's delightful. Yeah, that's really like it, it is what you think it is. The jokes are probably a little funnier, and the special effects are probably a little better yeah. than you would assume. The pooisms are great. Yeah, though him just mispronouncing words. <laughs> yeah, it's our kind of humor. Yeah, we need we need the poo in like you know fifties London is really funny. Yeah, um, it's just like you know, just like not understanding why everyone's like so busy and in such a rush. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's it's just it's it's great. It's a charmer. Yeah, yeah, and there's really good jokes that I mean, like things like he's climbing shelves and the shelves keep falling off the wall, and he says like your ladder is broken. Mm-hmm. It's just real funny when Winnie the Pooh says it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he says like thank you, officer. At some point, and Pooh says thank you, orifice. Just like shit like that over and over again, and it never gets old. Yeah. Hugh McGregor's good. Um, his little plot is kind of whatever. I um, like Haley Atwell, too, in that kind of role. She's just fun. Yeah. She's sweet. My my favorite thing about that movie that I thought was clever was that... So it's about Christopher Robin growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, he leaves 100 Acre Wood. He grows up. Um, but is he works at a luggage design firm. Yeah. Um, it's like a, a leg of a much bigger company. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, Mycroft is coming to go. Uh, I don't know that actor's name, but he's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, but he's the guy. Who he's got a shot this year at the award, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you realize that Christopher Robin has, as an adult, surrounded himself by people who are each of the Hundred Acre Wood types. Mark Gaddis. Mark Gaddis. Yeah. Like, there's a guy who's like all doom and gloom, and then it like shows like Hundred Acre Wood stuff with Eeyore, and it's like, oh, so he's. He's just created his new Eeyore, Piglet, Tigger, like all that in real life as an adult. And he's essentially like brought with the opportunity to fire them to save his job. And you know how it ends. Yeah. So nothing nothing deep there. Yeah. But just a fun movie and it's not that long, so But for visual effects, uh, the the fur on all of the uh, hundred acre wood residents is really <laughs> impressive. It looks like tactile and real, and like Piglet's face is a little threadbare, mm. and it's it's just it's it's yeah, great. They all are old, mm. which is a neat little turn. Um, I watched one more movie that's shortlisted for visual effects. I went to the theater and I saw Bumblebee. Bumblebee, Bumblebee. It's a uh, really really good. <laughs> <laughs> It was, I was shocked at how good it was. Brent's looking at you like he doesn't I don't trust believe your you. <laughs> it is by far the best Transformers movie I've ever seen. I believe you. <laughs> and uh, it's good. The jokes are funny. I mean, I gave it four stars because it still has those moments of like kind of teenage angst, which just don't translate well to me normally. Um, they're all kind of hourly. It's just hard to do that well, you know? Yeah. Um, like her riding out of the sunroof of Bumblebee, just like, woo! Riding down the road, like I didn't need that for two minutes. That would seem silly, mm. um, but it's really good. And the special effects are fantastic. Mm. I think mostly it's because there's only like three Transformers ever in the movie, mm. so there's not just like overload of you know whose parts are these. Yeah, and I can't tell who's good and who's bad because I didn't play with Transformers as a kid. So in this movie, you get Bumblebee and two Decepticons, and that's it. And it's nice. You can follow along. You know who's good and who's bad. It's crazy that people would say that Michael Bay needs to edit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you can tell. Different it's, kind of editing. Who directed this? Was this Michael Bay? No. It was the first Transformers film not directed by Michael Bay. And it's the best one? And it's the best one. Yeah. Wait a second. It's weird, right? Travis Knight. Was well, didn't he do Kubo? Yeah. He's come Bumblebee from and uh, Kubo. Laika. Studio Laika. Those are his two films that he's directed mm-hmm. as Kubo and Bumblebee. Very interesting. Um, yeah, that's really good. And some of the jokes are, are phenomenal. There's just like whole plot point where the Decepticons are tricking the U.S. government. John Cena plays like kind of the bad guy. And he's like, are we sure we should trust them? They are calling themselves Decepticons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Bumblebee jokes are, are really funny too. And it goes through like, it's, it's, it's an origin story for Bumblebee is all right. it is. Mm-hmm. So they go through like her putting the radio in him and him learning how to talk through the radio and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But they have four stars. It's it's a it's just a delightful little film. Mm. <laughs> I need to see it, but for some reason, when you said it's origin story for Bumblebee, in my head, I immediately went, "Wait, so does she die at the end? Because Bumblebee is like abandoned <laughs> when when Sambo Reggie finds him. They play it up. Okay, it makes sense. I, I figured they would tie it together, but yeah. I, that was just my first thought. Was like, wait, she has to die now. Yeah. <laughs> it should stop killing people in my That's head. It's an origin story. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it fits. It fits. They they tie it all together. Um, but yeah, it's really good. I think the special effects are even better just because there is normally just Bumblebee. 
And it's like them, her teaching him how to hide. Like, he doesn't know he needs to hide yet. You yeah. know what I mean? So, when there's only one on screen, it just feels a lot more focused. And I bet for some of those stuff, they didn't even need, like, special effects. Because Bumblebee already knew how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like the writer. Just film Bumblebee. No, this movie's better than the writer. Being himself. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. This movie also took place on an Indian reservation. Yeah. Chloe Zhao directed it. Yeah. She just had a letter from Bumblebee <laughs> for another film she was making about Autobots. <laughs> Documentary <about> Autobots. <laughs> but that's it. That podcast isn't coming out for like a couple yeah. years. <laughs> really? Why are they talking so much shit about the writer? <laughs> That's it for me. Uh, Chris, what you got? Cool. I only have a couple movies to add to that. I will um, very briefly mention that Bad Mom's Christmas is not a great movie. Okay. Um, I believe you. It's a bad Christmas movie. It's a bad Mom's Christmas. It's... So I... (laughs) I will say, I haven't seen Bad Mom's. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jumped right into Bad Mom's Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, just ballsy. Um, I enjoyed that for what it's worth. Yeah, and I, I, the, yeah, everything I heard that it was was that it was funny. This one's not really funny, um, and it is clear that they had some problems getting this movie made when uh, the production companies scroll by and you see two Chinese production companies and you go, "Uh oh!" <laughs> like this this movie got saved by some angel investors, um, but it's it's not very good. Um, pretty pretty paper thin, but you know I don't think that anyone's really itching to go see it. Yeah, um, John Lucas, the director, has a pretty sad filmography. <laughs> I want to hear it. Well, he's directed Bad Moms, a Bad Moms Christmas, in twenty one and over. He's one of the writers for The Hangover, uh, and then Bad Moms, Office Christmas Party, Change Up, twenty one and over, Ghost of Girlfriends, Past, and uh, the Martin Lawrence film Rebound. <laughs> so maybe he keeps, he keeps getting work. Yep. Uh, yeah, at some point you need to remove that from your, like, from the makers of The Hangover. When it's like, but also the maker of Bad Mom's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but other than that, I saw a good movie. I saw Mary Poppins Returns. Oh. And yeah, she do. She do return. That'll be a a letdown. She she ready. (laughs) (laughs) She ready. I'd love to see Tiffany Haddish as Mary Poppins. (laughs) Um, it's really good. It's, um, it is pretty delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there had been more comedy or writing for people who grew up with the original Mary Poppins mm-hmm. for that age bracket, but it's really more situated for people who have nostalgia and love that movie to bring their kids now. Because um, it's purposefully unlike some of the other Disney live action. Well, I guess that was an original Disney live action, but the modern adaptations are kind of all reboots. This is a purposefully a continuation. Yeah, this is a, this is a deliberate sequel. The kids from Mary Poppins are adults now. It's, Chris, um, it's Christopher Robin. Yeah. <laughs> it's that recipe. Yeah. They're, they're, they're adults now with their own problems and Mary Poppins comes to kind of uh, help save the day, um, doing her, um, you know, you believe in yourself and you can do anything, uh, magic. Mm-hmm. How are the songs in it? The songs are good. I mean, they're, they're, they're 
interesting. They're neat. Um, they're like immediately whimsical. You know, the first the first song is the children take a bubble bath, and so they kind of are like jump into the bathtub and slide into another world where they're mm-hmm. underwater and there's mermaids, and so it is. It is fun in that respect. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is great in it. Um, he has a moment to shine uh, with his kind of hip-hop sing-song style. I didn't want to call it rapping because it's not really what what he does. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really neat. Um, Emily Blunt is great. It's Mary Poppins. Um, not Jim Cummings. I can't remember the name of the, the lead. Uh, Emily Mortimer's Ben Wishall. Ben Ben Wishall. The voice of Paddington too. Yep. The voice of Paddington too. Greatest movie ever made. Yep. <laughs> Oscar, the Academy of Cowards. Um, uh, I have a question. Yes. Meryl Streep's in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because if I did, if I knew that, I would have uh, reserved a supporting actress place for. Her. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there's. I mean, I, I feel like it's not really ruining anything to give some plot details away because. You don't see Mary Poppins returns for the plot. Mm-hmm. You see it just for the atmosphere, the energy, sure. you know, the the, the levity. Um, so Meryl Streep plays Mary Poppins' sister, who owns a repair shop. So when the kids accidentally break a bowl that they were going to sell, they take it to her, and they do a song there, and then they leave. So Meryl Streep is in the movie as like a total bottle moment. Okay. There's absolutely no relevance to the movie. That bowl does end up coming back. She's like, oh, it'll take me five days to fix. Like, well, that's outside her timeline. So thanks anyway. Bye. (laughs) She plays a character. I think her name's like Topsy Turvy. Yep. And the whole song (laughs) is about like, you need a different perspective sometimes to see things the right way. Topsy Turvy. It's the weirdest moment. It really is. It, it feels kind of out of place, um, but looks like Meryl Streep had a lot of fun. There's another lead actor-actress winner in the movie that I didn't know was in it, but Colin Firth is in this movie? Yeah, Colin Firth. He plays kind of the bad guy. Okay. So, so the story is Ben, ben Wishall. Um, he is working for the bank, and the bank is coming to repossess the home. And so they're trying to find ways to buy the house back from the bank. And that's it. That's that's the plot device. So Colin Firth is is the uh, is the, the the bank manager. Yep. Okay, just trying to do his job. Yep, I think he's the villain. Yeah, <laughs> well, like a lot of kids' movies. <laughs> we hate jobs. <laughs> I say uh, that side of the scene. Uh, Dick Van Dyke makes a really fun cameo. Um, and is he British in it? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Or if he is, it is a it's a it's a much better accent. <laughs> but he was in the first one, right? Didn't he have that like Cockney thing yeah. going on yeah. in the first one? Yeah, you just yeah. moved to the states and lose your accent every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I kind of see why people love it so much. I don't understand why people are like it's going to get nominated for seven Academy Awards. Other than I think maybe people are tired of movies taking themselves so seriously because this is the opposite of that, right? Um, it's the Joker of movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so if you're looking for something fun, this is definitely a recommendation. Trip a little light, fantastic with Mary Poppins. That's the song in it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Looks good. Yep, it's a good song. I heard it. 
Yeah, that's all I got. Well, I'll quickly hit on some things I've seen lately. Uh, I haven't been here for a watch list in a couple weeks, so a few of these things are going to be things y'all have already talked about. Like Roma. I saw Roma like a couple days after it came out. and We've uh, all seen Roma now, right? Have we all seen it? No. No. <laughs> Um, I loved Roma. I thought it was... <laughs> Who am I to say some shit like that? <laughs> well, David assumes that if he's seen it, we've all seen it first. He's making fun because I was like, everybody watched Roma, and then I couldn't watch, didn't watch Roma last week. Oh. Uh, um, well, I mean, I won't... No, I don't care. It's, well, it's also not a movie that's... It's hard to spo- spoil a Roma, movie. Roma is the sled? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was kind of. What is Roma in Roma? It's the neighborhood. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah it's a neighborhood Mexico City. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. I loved it. It was uh, incredible to watch. I thought the cinematography was it was fantastic, and the uh, set design was insane in Roma. Like mm-hmm. the way I instantly felt this house was just so lived in. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything around the house felt so real to me. Um, I love the scenes of just uh, her and her friend walking down the street, and they're they're passing through, passing by all these like shops where things are happening inside. Mm-hmm. Love all those scenes so much in the movie. You get yeah. the kind of across the street cam a lot, where the camera's like either gliding or pivoting for almost the entire movie. It follows, you know, a, that sort of tracking shot. It uh, it reminds me a lot of like. French New Wave stuff where mm-hmm. they would, you know, follow people through a city. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a scene like that in the 400 Blows. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You could just really... I was really impressed with Quaron's direction here and his vision for the movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very touching movie, too. So it's not mm-hmm. just purely aesthetic that, uh, that impressed me. But really loved it. Recommend it, TJ. I think you'll, you'd enjoy it. Um, I'll probably watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so, that would be funny if you were like, well, I've seen 63 of the 64 movies nominated for Oscars. Didn't get around to Roma. <laughs> Can't read. He's waiting for a screening to happen in, yeah. his, in his house. I'm waiting for them to release the one with dubs. <laughs> uh, also saw The Favorite. I saw that with Chris and TJ. And uh, I will say that I thought Olivia Coleman was fantastic. And uh, she is up there with Lady Gaga for me for uh, at least among likely nominees. Because right. I would I would also have Tony Collette up there too for Hereditary as mm-hmm. far as mm-hmm. my favorite mm-hmm. uh, actress performances this year. But uh, Olivia Coleman's fantastic in the movie. Uh, Emma Stone's very very good, and then everybody else in the movie is, is also good. Um, for me, it was a. The favorite was more of a good collection of great performances plus a sprinkling of Yorgos Lanthimos weirdness that, that was fun from time to time. Yeah. But um, then it was... I think the sum of the parts were greater to me than the movie itself, if that makes sense. Sure. Because, uh, you know... completely come together for you. Right. But I still really appreciate all those parts. Mm-hmm. So, like... Uh, I definitely see the... Uh, that sounds like my exact reason why I am differing from TJ in how much I like the movie Vice. Performances are great. The Adam McKay stuff can hit and work really well sometimes, but altogether, not my favorite. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
And I think for me, maybe it's just because it's hard not to compare it to other Yorgos Lanthimos movies, mm-hmm. and he wrote his other movies, and he, uh, those movies have, I think, more to, like, say about, I don't know, more to make you think about, whereas this one was just more to entertain you in the moment. But it does a really good job of that, and I really liked it. So, I recommend the favorite, uh, what else did I see? I saw Springsteen on Broadway. On yeah, the Netflix special. Oh, uh, I was gonna say, like, he been traveling a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know how to recommend this to people if you don't like Bruce Springsteen. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. But if you don't like him, you're not gonna like it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's so good though. It's just so good. Well, what's good about it? It's good because it is not a concert film. I don't think I would right. call it's his, it. It's his one. Man, it's his one man show. It's his one man show where he does perform. He probably performs maybe what a dozen songs yeah. over the course of two and a half hours. How many and characters does he play? He plays 12, 14 <laughs> characters. Yeah. Um, now uh, he like breaks up each song into different parts and just sort of he'll stop a song to tell a story and it's a clearly a very carefully written hmm. and rehearsed one man show. So it's um, like the most perfect VH1 storytellers. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I did like that show back in the day. I love <laughs> yeah, getting the behind the scenes on songwriting. Yeah. He is like a poet laureate for America, I think. Bruce Springsteen. The way he, the way he talks about growing up and his life and growing older and loss over the years and love and basically everything that he's ever experienced is... I don't know. I thought it was beautiful. And I highly recommend... If you even like somewhat like Bruce Springsteen, I, I highly recommend uh, this. And it's... As far as the movie making goes, there's no movie making. It is just somebody filmed his one man. His one man show. And that's... That's it. Um, that's available on Netflix. Also on Netflix, a 2018 series, a short series from Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House, I watched. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was really, really good. I'm uh, easily scared, so I don't normally... Ah! (laughs) So I don't like... uh, (laughs) I don't typically gravitate towards horror films and and series. But this wasn't really... I don't want to say there are no jump scares. There definitely are jump scares in it, but Mm -hmm. it's not very reliant on it. It's mostly a family drama connecting two periods in their life. One is... uh, a trauma they all suffered in the early 90s when they lived at Hill House, this haunted house, which is based on The Haunting by Shirley Jackson. Yes. Is that the name of the book? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then it's uh, set in present day when the kids are growing up and uh, they're dealing with a, a current tragedy, sort of, that's uh, pulling them back all together where they have to confront their, their childhoods and whatnot. And it's, it's really well done. The characters are well developed. And... Um, highly recommend it. It's also really fun. I, I, I think everybody should know going in that there are hidden ghosts in the backgrounds of scenes. Like, yeah, that's what I heard. That's yeah. I think that's one of the things that people talk about in this show and I think it makes watching the show way more fun to just sit there and have to search every single corner of your screen just to see if there's a little uh, a face. And they're not doing anything scary. They're just, this is just like there's just maybe a person standing down at the end of the hall as two characters pass by it sometimes. 
Yeah, it's just yeah. creepy. It's a very creepy show. Yes, it is creepy. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. It's ten episodes, I want to say, and episode six, which is called Two Storms, is uh, one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a long time. It's uh, excellent. Yeah, that's the one where it's it's basically only four cuts, I think. Yeah. And it is... Uh, and it does a great job of piecing together the two different time frames without obvious editing between the two. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like they, it seems like they can jump from you know present day to the early '90s without you know without a cut whatsoever in the single take, which is pretty impressive. I'm just super impressed with that filmmaker, Mike Flanagan. He did uh, Gerald's Game and he did Hush and uh, oh, wow. the yeah. the good Ouija movie that I haven't seen yet. Apparently a good Ouija Origins movie, but he's he's a I think he's a phenomenal horror filmmaker. I really liked Hush. I like Gerald's Game. If so, I think you'd like the aesthetic of of Haunting of Hill House too. Uh, it's it's very watchable. Um, yeah, it's something I just missed in October. Like yes. Yeah. I didn't even hear about it coming out. I just saw it popping up on people's end of the year lists and whatnot. I think someone were recommended on the TV by us page, and I uh, I checked it out then around September. I know Kelly mainlined it, mm-hmm. right? I was a big fan, also. And then the last thing was I rewatched Avengers: Infinity War. Nice. I liked it much more now that I'm over the um, the deception of. What I viewed as the deception of uh, telling me this was a story in its own and won't need a follow up. So. I mean, I've told you you're wrong before. <laughs> I won't keep telling you you're, you're wrong. telling me this story does not require a follow up in any way. No, I just don't think that's a valid reason for. You think the Thanos story is complete? No? I don't know that they, I don't know that they promised that. Yeah, I don't know why you went into it thinking that, though. They, no, they said at one point when the, it was originally going to be in Avengers Infinity War Part 1 coming out in 2018 and Part 2 coming out in 2019. And they said, scratch that, the entire Infinity War story will be told in 2018. So we don't need Part 1 and Part 2. Yeah, the war is over. They lost. Yeah, the Infinity Stone story is over. Well, the Infinity Stones are... I don't think they ever told you like the Thanos story will end, though. Part of that was also they got into trouble with uh, production because immediately after they finished filming Infinity War Part 1, they started filming Part 2, so they had to call it something. And so they called it Part 2, and then they decided late in production and filming that they cannot call it Part 2. Yeah. Because it is not a continuation of straight the war. through. Right. It is, it is a restart. It is, it, is, it is about the events after the decimation. The same way that, like, you know, the you know the, the troops coming home from war is not the follow-up story, is not the sequel to, you know, the story during the war. It is definitely related, and it is an important backdrop, but in the same way that, you know, Thor Ragnarok is a sequel to, uh, like, the Avengers. Like, it's not really... It has a lot of the same characters, and you need to know a lot of the backstory. I get that. I guess it's it, it didn't strike me as having a lot of finality, the movie. Yeah. And so the emotional beats at the end didn't really hit me, and they still don't hit me, but uh, now, I can yeah. just, now I can just view it as a great yeah, action yeah. movie. That's yeah. fair. I get that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, when, when characters... <laughs> Jesus. When, when, you, when you lose characters to the decimation, it's kind of like, okay. Yeah. Especially the characters that we lost too. Like it's 
Yeah, Spider-Man is the one that is played emotionally that I think works. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know, too, because especially after seeing Ant-Man and Wasp, which takes place before this, we don't know when, you know what I mean? We don't know what they're doing with that moving forward. Right. Except they spoil what they're doing with it going forward in the Endgame trailer. In that movie, yes. I mean, in other films. Oh. I'm saying, like, right. watching that and being like, there's another Spider-Man movie. I know Spider-Man's coming back. We don't know that for sure, is right. what I'm saying. I think we do because that story doesn't feel, from a storytelling perspective across a, an entire series, it doesn't feel like an appropriate ending. Whereas it would, at some like if in Endgame, Captain America dies or Iron Man dies, I think that would feel like an appropriate ending to that story, to the Tony Stark story or the Steve Rogers story. Sure. Whereas I don't feel like killing T'Challa you know, or whoever. That's not the end of Black Panther. It doesn't feel like the... Even if even if the next Black Panther movie is a prequel of some sort, which would not be very interesting, but, but even if it takes place before Infinity War, I don't think that's an interesting end to his story. Right. Well, because you, you lose a lot of the gravity of a single character dying when it is half. I mean, and that's... that's it's kind of effective because that's Thanos' goal. It is, it is emotionless, it is decisionless, it is just half flat so that there's so many people who are heroes that are stories we know it's hard to to have that emotional connection to their loss because like so many people just died and i'm, I'm really looking forward to and i like the dis, I, I do like treating it treating this movie as infinity war part one i really like the ending because um that sets up the original Avengers to complete their story, sort of, by going and rescuing and, and trying to reverse the events that led to the decimation of the quote-unquote new Avengers. Right. I mean, because the people still standing, and at this point, you've seen the movie, or why are you still listening to this, yeah. right? Um, the people still standing are the original Avengers, which I think is going to be really fun. It's it's Black Widow, it's Hawkeye, it's uh, Thor, Thor Bruce, Iron Man, yeah. Ant-Man. Right, there's like a couple of yeah. islands out. There's yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's fun for me. In that the the final Avengers movie is is going to be the original Avengers yeah. saving the day. Yeah, it yeah. may not be the final Avengers movie, right. but it's uh, it feels like the final no one. Fucking with, way, it's going to be the final. But it feels <laughs> it feels like the last one with this core of actors. Yeah, right. Well, when we we. Assume it will be at least with Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because they have played coy with that before, um, <laughs> with like people announcing that this is their last project and they like, right. go, "Oh, well, I came back for one more." Like, "Oh, well, I came back for one more." Right. So who knows? But I think that, that at this point there are enough actors from the original Avengers. Like, what is Robert Downey Jr. going to do? Like, what else? What else is he in? Yeah, he does stuff. Sure. Maybe he has a long list He'll of things okay. he wants to do because he's just been right. making Avengers movies for yeah. Avengers and Sherlock Holmes for yeah. a decade. Yeah. So, but I really enjoyed it. I think it's a it's a very good action movie. It's yeah. a very fun uh, sandbox movie. Yes. Of, of just throwing, getting all your toys. Yeah. And, yeah. This guy from this movie. This guy from this movie. Throw them together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fun. That. So really fun. What if group made Thor and Axe? 
We'll love that part. <laughs> or what if the Scarlet Witch vision thing wasn't in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is my least favorite Sorry. Part. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, what kind of... You didn't play romance with your action figures? <laughs> <laughs> Not with those two. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> It did. It still felt, even on the second time, it felt like we got about thirty seconds of Captain America and about forty minutes. It's, it felt like that. I, of, uh, Scarlet Witch. I, I took the dog to go pee during that part and let it keep playing when they're like in like Belgium or wherever they are. Yeah, I think Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Scotland. When when it looks like Belgium. Yeah. When they're in Scotland, I was just like, I was like, oh wait, I remember this part. Uh, hey, dog, you gotta go pee, and I just let it play and walked out. Yeah, I rewatched it recently too. Maybe it was just Avondale Estates, <laughs> <laughs> Tudor Village. Also, it feels like there was way too much discussion on whether we should just kill a robot <laughs> or not. Like, yeah, you should probably just kill the robot to preserve half the human yeah, race. And the robot's like, and build a new robot. <laughs> yeah, and the robot gets it too. The robot's like, yeah, I should die. Build me again. I'll appreciate it. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Let's go to a scientist who can handle this. So they go to her, and she's like, you guys did this all fucking wrong. <laughs> and instead of being like, let's just break them down and rebuild them, she's just like, but I can fix it <laughs> with my with my finger computer. Yeah, and she keeps working on that while they're, the biggest battle in Earth's history is occurring outside of her window. It's like, maybe you should just just cash in those chips while you still can. Yeah. Maybe we should just go ahead and destroy this thing. Scarlet Witch has left the room. You could kill this dude. No one would know. <laughs> you yes. could be like, something went wrong. She, it's super complicated. How did she become emotionally bonded to him that fast? But yeah, anyway, that's, these are just... Whatever. <laughs> Sometimes movie characters have to be dumb to make movies more interesting. Yes. So, Breezy on the Streets? Well, what's in the news? I don't even know There's anything There's at least the one thing that is really bizarre. What's that? Uh, let me be frank. Oh, I haven't watched it. I'm not oh, gosh, yeah. Is this the Kevin Spacey thing? Yes. Oh, yeah. I have not watched it either. I've heard about it. So... We're, we're Live action film of the year. <laughs> so, Kevin Spacey filmed himself in character, question mark, uh, as uh, Frank uh, Underwood. But he can't call himself Frank Underwood because he is no longer associated with House of Cards. Um, and he released it the same day that uh, he was charged with sexual abuse. Um, and the whole thing is him talking to the camera the way he would in House of Cards about, uh, you wouldn't believe what they say without hearing all the facts, right? And it is a five minute video of him talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And ends, ends with him going off camera and it doing like the dramatic chipmunk noise. So like he edited it in like iMovie. (laughs) Um, it is super fucking strange. It's weird. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I mean, I'm not watching it. No need for you to watch it. It would, this, it would be Cassandra's least favorite thing to ever watch ever. <laughs> just because it's just like... Um, and another, another piece of news that I think is interesting, we've already had some chatter about it on the page. Uh, Charlie Brooker and his team have released their Choose Your Own Adventure movie released on Netflix called Bandersnatch. Mm -hmm. Um, Supposedly there's about like five hours of footage that you can encounter while doing it. Um, But seems like an interesting concept to make a Choose Your Own Adventure movie. Yeah, I think it's a logical progression to to get here. 
I just can't believe, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive we're there already. Uh, having not seen it, but I know there's multiple endings you could do in 90 minutes or like two and a half hours or just a whole bunch of time in it. I had this idea when I was a kid. I think I pitched it to a school teacher. I was like, you know what they should do? They should have movies where you get to, the audience has buttons where you get to pick things that happen in the movie. <laughs> What's creepy to me is that like that with VR, we're so close to just being able to be in a movie now. <laughs> You can just be in a movie yourself. Yeah. Well, like, we're not that far away from that. That's horrifying. That's called a video game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what I was going to bring up. One of the things that was... Um, one of the details from the Telltale Games studio getting shut down really unceremoniously was that they kept on a crew of people to keep working on a project for Netflix that they had partnered with. Mm-hmm. And the what they were essentially doing is taking one of their properties that they licensed since Telltale makes a bunch of basically like choose your own adventure stories, but just with licensed property. And they were developing a game slash movie for Netflix in the same style. So I think this might be a trend, possibly just a fad. Right. Um, But we're going to see a couple more of these probably coming out next year. Cool. How do you review like the content of a movie like that? You can review the experience and how well the, choosing aspect goes. How do you review a game where you have uh, agency about what your character does? Yeah. Yeah, we can play Red Dead Redemption 2 and you can do all the side quests and I can just do the main story and go, I don't think the world was fleshed out enough. You know? And you go, well, it's because you didn't do it. You um, have to do full disclosure. These are the paths I took. Yeah. And, I mean, and, th- and that's really the answer is that you can't review it in the way that you would review traditional media. You have to think about it in a in a novel way. Almost like, I'm not going to review Bandersnatch the movie, I'm going to re- review Bandersnatch the experience. Yeah. Whatever the entertainment experience is, and then the next thing to come out like it, you compare it to Bandersnatch. That's what I'm sort of getting at. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you almost have to do it more like a video game. Yeah. Um. So then, like, would a movie like Bandersnatch be nominated for an Oscar? Could. I mean, all you have to do to be nominated for an Oscar is... Be a feature-length film running more than 40 minutes for a week uninterrupted in L.A. County. Are they showing this in theaters anywhere? Uh, Are theaters theaters equipped to show this? I mean... Yeah, I don't know how they would either. I would doubt it. Yeah. Or else they just show everything they could... Well, either that... You could show it concurrently Mm -hmm. on different screens. That would be fun. Clue style. Or do it clue style at the end and just, you know... It could have happened this way. <laughs> yeah, interesting part about this is I think uh, I don't know the full details of this, but last year Steven Soderbergh did something similar called Mosaic. Of course he did. Which is you, yep. uh, <laughs> it had like Sharon Stone in it, where you kind of uncover a mystery and it was interactive. But I don't think it was as popular with the uh, um, the kind of structure that Netflix has. Um, so I don't know. I want. I actually want to do Bandersnatch experience. I want to take some time, set aside for it, and then kind of look at that thing. I think it'd be fun to do one that's not not so much choose your own adventure as it is where the audience has to help. So like a, a mystery, a detective story where mm-hmm. where the detective will just simply stay on screen, looking uh, irritated at having to wait until you can find the clue that he needs to find. <laughs> where he's just, like, like checking his watch. Like, you know. <laughs> or, like, L.A. Noir style. Like, there'll be, like, a filmed interview, and then at the end you have to choose if you believe that person or not. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and if you just don't believe everyone, at the end, the detective just goes home and goes, well, I guess I couldn't crack that one. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Uh, that's certainly interesting, though. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I did not get a theatrical run. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't think so. I don't know yeah. how people would input their choices, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it would it, it would be interesting. The, I mean, it sounds really sophomoric to say that we've experienced this before in like the twenties when they added sound to movies. So, like, now adding another piece of media and interactivity to it, another, like, element, like, maybe it will become a another wave, or it could go the way of 3D movies and just, like, come and go, and who knows? Yeah, I mean, it took them 60 years to compare animated films to live-action ones. Yeah. So. So, it's interesting. I, I, I was, we've got one person who thinks, who, who rated each of the endings that they got, um, which is insane that they've already at the day of release they already got like four endings right but I guess it's the kind of thing where if you sit down with it you might just want to sit and just devour it all but yeah that came out so Banish Snatch check it out or don't Charlie Brooker is a madman I want to check it out yeah get back to it what else Charlie Brooker do Black Mirror ah uh, okay the rest of the oh that's right it, it is a Black Mirror like movie right yeah, yeah. I saw it advertised that way yeah yeah, it's interactive. It's like, how do you want the main character tortured psychologically? <laughs> uh, what's coming out this weekend? I don't know. I was supposed to look it up. Or someone was. I was just about to say, like, if he's in the U.S., he technically can't be tortured. <laughs> yeah, because if, if it US, happens in the U.S., the U.S. Torture. doesn't torture, so we can't torture by law. So, uh, yeah, go catch up on movies. <laughs> go see something. We've told you about a bunch of good ones. So yeah. You can go see The Escape Room. That's the only one that looks like it is properly being released. <laughs> or by properly, you just mean at all. Yeah. It's... I need to read more about the current war. That's bizarre. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> current release date is unknown. So you have Escape Room, or you could go do an Escape Room. Or you could go see one of the many good movies we talked about on this podcast. You could stream Roma on your phone while you're doing an escape room. You could watch all the... You will, you will not get one or the other. <laughs> you could watch all the Crash Bandicoot endings on Crash Netflix. Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> you sound like everyone's mom. What's our Crash Bandicoot movie? <laughs> uh, Life of the Party just came to HBO for free. You can go see that in your house. <laughs> Come on over. I think we're losing the thread here. Guys. <laughs> There's some Netflix uh, thing called After Porn Ends 3. Ah. Sure it's uplifting. <laughs> yeah, I'll hear good things happen to porn stars after their porn careers. Starring Christy Canyon as herself. Genteel as herself. Genteel? Yeah. That's a great God. <laughs> Is that two words? It's like nope, Jen, it's one word. Teal. Oh, one word, wrong. no last name. It's actually Gentile. <laughs> All right, watch that one. Brent, take us out. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Uh, this has been po- uh, Talk Talk Podcast for the Media Bias. You can check out our website at mediabias.com. Join our Facebook groups at Games By Us, Movies By Us, or TV By Us. You can interact with us and others there. Uh, email us at mediabyus gmail.com tweet tweet with us at mediabyus 
most important thing, helpful thing you could do this holiday season is to uh, give us a rating and or subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we want to thank the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Thank you, Willow Walkers. Yep. And Burifa for the outro. And we want to thank Kicking rocks each of us for being down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.